0: You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Morning, everyone. Morning. So, so good to be with you this morning. Morning. My name is Dave, I'm the youth pastor here at Catalyst, and yeah, what a joy to be with you. Uh, Today we are actually starting a brand new series in the book of James called Authentic Faith. And just to give you guys a little bit of background to what we're going to read today, we believe it was written by James, who is Jesus' brother. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem at the time and he's writing to jewish christians spread all the way outside of jerusalem and across the world and it's to encourage them as they're facing difficulty and persecution they just like us they live in a world that is full of selfishness full of godlessness and injustice and into that context james brings a challenge to them to live differently to live with authenticity and to be the kind of people the world needs and is crying out for. And so this series is all about having authentic faith. Now, if you've read the book of Proverbs before in the Bible, this might feel a little bit familiar because James is a fan of like punchy one-liners. Like that's what he's all about. It's practical wisdom. And James just tells it like it is. He doesn't butter it up or kind of like, you know, wrap it it in blankets. He just says it like it is. So we're going to be looking at the opening to James today where he talks about navigating the trials and sufferings of life that we all go through. Tim Mackey, who's a pastor and writer, describes James as a beautifully crafted punch in the gut. So, st- stomachs at the ready, guys. We're going to read chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, and the words are going to come up on the screen as well. So, James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered across the nation greetings. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower." For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Why don't we just pray? Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the truth that is in it and the way that it can cut through the rubbish, Lord, and just get to the heart of the matter. And we pray, Lord, that as we look at your word today, God, would you just be bringing to the surface the things that we need to hear? God, would you challenge us? Would you equip us? Would you comfort us today? We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So there's no messing about here from James. He just goes straight into it with his letter. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. When life gets tough, choose joy. Now, this is easier said than done. You know, I'm trying to picture that pure joy that James is talking about when you get another flat tire, or when you failed another test at school, or when you have to call the plumber out because a pipe has burst in your house. Like, woohoo, hoo pure joy. <laughs> That's not really what I do in those moments. I don't know about you. That's not the natural response. And even though those are stressful situations, really, they're just kind of inconvenient. But when we start to move into the more serious trials that we can face in life, you know, like job loss or fear over finances, health issues, losing a loved one and we hear the words, consider it pure joy. Well, that just sounds like tone deaf. It's like, what what are you talking about? Reading those words can feel really hard. What are you trying to say, Lord? That the pain that I walk through is supposed to be pure joy? Like what's going on here? Now, James isn't saying that we're supposed to delight in painful circumstances themselves. But he is someone who has experienced in his life intense persecution and suffering. He was someone who was eventually killed. He was martyred for his faith. So actually, James isn't saying this flippantly. He is someone who is well qualified to pass on his wisdom to us on this subject. James gets it. He knows what it's like to walk through hard stuff. And he doesn't just trot out little well-meaning, like, wishy-washy platitudes for when things get difficult. Instead, what he's doing for us here is laying down real, practical, solid wisdom of how we can live differently in the area of facing suffering. What does it mean to engage my faith and to be authentic when suffering comes? We're to choose joy, not to delight in the suffering itself. But it's saying that even in the most difficult of seasons, as followers of Jesus, there's a reason that we can be grateful because God, in his wisdom and power, is able to somehow bring good things out of pain because he is that good. So I want to look at three truths that James highlights today that we can experience when we partner with God in our suffering and how they are a reason to choose joy in those tough moments. So, Firstly we can choose joy because our suffering can lead to fruitful perseverance. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, a caterpillar when it it creates a little cocoon or a chrysalis as it's called and it wraps this thing around itself and then for two weeks that caterpillar is in there transforming into a butterfly. Now when it's ready to emerge the butterfly has to squeeze itself through this tiny tiny opening in the cocoon and it's painstakingly like going slowly millimeter by millimeter trying to squeeze itself out and in that moment for us looking at it the temptation might be oh can we just kind of come and widen that opening a little bit can we just get like a little scalpel or something and help it out that seems like the kind thing to do right but that would actually be the worst thing we could do because the butterfly's struggle to get through that small opening is so crucial for its development. It actually forces fluid from its body into its wings. And it's only when that fluid goes to the right places that the wings can fully expand, strengthen and work as they're supposed to. So if we were to help the butterfly and remove that ob- obstacle, it would fall out of the cocoon with underdeveloped wings that could never grow it would never fly and its lifespan would be shortened significantly. You see, without that struggle, it would never fully become what it was created to be. And when we wrestle with this topic of pain and struggle in our life so often, if you're anything like me, your thoughts can go to, oh God, why don't you just take this away from me? Why don't you just remove, you're God, you can do it. Removing all obstacles might seem like the most loving approach but actually it's because God loves us so much that there are moments when he allows us to go through things that are difficult. Because he knows that when we submit to him in the process, that struggle will ultimately produce fruit and growth in our lives. In verse three, it says this, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything and the word for mature here it means like fully realized fully developed almost like a piece of fruit that is ripe. you know not like underdeveloped and hard and bitter but with this ripeness there's a sweetness that comes to maturity and the word complete speaks more about wholeness all the parts of ourselves being sound and complete almost like a, a clock mechanism with all the gears in the right place and working correctly nothing out of place. You know, for me, and maybe you've had the same experience, you've met people who've been through some stuff in your life. You've met people who've journeyed through hard times, maybe had years of difficult circumstances that they've walked through. And I've met people where they have submitted to that process of persevering and they have become mature. There's a ripeness, there's a, there's a, there's a developed kind of sweetness to them, And I don't know if that's because they've walked through painful stuff and so they have compassion on others and they're soft-hearted in that way. But you can just tell that there's some maturity there. And there's a completeness. There's a wholeness to them as well, like a solidness that kind of says, it doesn't matter what I'm facing in this moment. I'm actually going to plant my feet. I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to do this with Jesus. James is trying to show us that there's a different perspective to suffering here that we can see God is able to take the worst the enemy can throw at us and through his mercy and power turn it for our good and that doesn't mean to say that we say to ourselves or to others you know the deep pain that we can walk through in itself is good because I don't think that's helpful suffering wasn't God's original plan for us it's a result of the broken world that we live in suffering itself is not good but because of God, the result of it can be. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And so we're called to a different response to the suffering that we experience. As author, James Samra puts it like this. I think this is really helpful. He says, how often Are we tempted to take the easy way out of a difficult situation? A romantic relationship gets difficult, so we withdraw. Our boss is giving us a hard time at work. We look for a new job. We don't get along well with our neighbors, so we start praying that they would move. I like that one. Uh, Our extended family gets on our nerves on holiday, so we book our own room to get away from them. In the big and small trials, we can be tempted to insulate ourselves and escape from the struggles. We might relieve some of the pain, but we certainly will not learn to persevere. Trials alone do not bring maturity. It's only as we persevere through struggles that we grow. If we seek to insulate ourselves from any difficult circumstances, we'll never experience the growth God wants us to have. Oof, challenge. You know, so often my initial inclination when something is difficult is to run, it's to hide from the pain, to insulate or escape difficulty. But I just think, like, it's inevitable. Even if I manage to avoid some painful circumstances in my life by employing that technique and just literally running away from it, even if I manage to do it sometimes, I can't run away from suffering. It's just a reality. All of us are going to experience tough stuff in our lives at some point. And so it's like, if I'm going to go through this anyway, why waste it? Why run from it? Why not say, God, I'm going to partner with you and I'm going to receive the growth that you want to give me. God wants to develop me to be more like him, more mature, more complete picture of who Jesus is. Why wouldn't I press into that? Why wouldn't I pursue the growth he wants me to have? It's not easy. I'm not going to do it perfectly. I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm so grateful that God can take the rubbish that the enemy can throw at me and use it for my goods. And so the invitation here for us is see what is God doing beneath the surface in the trials that we face. So we can choose joy and suffering firstly because it leads to fruitful perseverance. The second th- reason we can choose joy and suffering is because we can receive God's provision. I'm pretty sure this isn't a thing anymore. I don't think this is a thing that happens, but when I was like six or seven, I remember going on a flight and I got asked if I wanted to go and see the pilot and go into the cockpit. Did did anyone ever get to do that as a kid? Yes, some of the, (laughs) yes, a few folk. And just out of interest, did you have a moment of being like, oh, maybe I could be a pilot? Did that, yes, yes, me and you, James, yes. (laughs) I was was really blown away by it. I think because of like all the security and stuff, that doesn't happen anymore, but it was really cool. And I had this thing for a little bit of like, what would it be like for me to be a pilot? And I really quickly discovered you have to work flipping hard to get there. There was a pilot who was part of our church a few years later who came to our youth group talking about his life journey and stuff and he talked about his journey of becoming a pilot and he literally just brought out these massive textbooks and just went on the table and was like I had to learn all of this stuff and I was like I'm out that dream is gone I'm not doing it that's too hard becoming a pilot is not easy right there is years of study I think they have to have 1500 hours in the air or something like that before they can actually fly like a commercial flight they're these incredibly capable people. They've got a serious amount of responsibility that they carry. They have to react quickly to changing conditions and calculate the best course of action, all this kind of stuff. In short, pilots are experts at what they do. Like, they're all really, really good. And that's right, because you don't want to fly in a plane where the pilot kind of knows what they're doing. It's like, well, I've I've seen a a few films. I get the gist of it. You grab the stick and you go like, like, "No, no, 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 I'm not getting on that plane. The pilot has to be really good at what they do, but even the most gifted pilot, whoever that is, can't do it solo, particularly when it comes to landing the plane. They've got to seek the wisdom and guidance of the control tower. They can see all of the flight patterns of the other planes in the area, detailed weather reports, they've got all the information in front of them. They are essential to land any plane. So imagine being on a flight, you're coming into land, it's bad weather, poor visibility, and the pilot on the tannoy just says, you know, I'm going to switch off the radio to the control tower because I think I've got this. Like, I'm feeling good about this one. You'd be like, no, do not do that. Get me off this plane as soon as possible. How safe would you feel? Not at all. I don't care how good a pilot they are, that makes no sense at all. Why would you navigate through a storm without help? Why would you navigate through a storm without help? What James lays before us is that when it comes to the difficulties we face in life, we need to look to God. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's what it says. I don't know about you, but there are so many times when I face things that are difficult in life, circumstances that are tough, and I don't do this. It's like, instead of going to God, it's like I turn off my radio, click, sit down, settle in, in my seat, grabbing the controls and think, okay, how am I gonna handle this one? What's the first step? What do I need to do? What's the plan here? And it's like, Dave, why are you not communicating? with the one who has all the information, who can see the situation you're in from end to end, who actually knows how it's gonna play out in the future. Do you not think his wisdom and insight would be valuable in this moment and quite key in navigating it? What we need to realize is that we never grow out of needing our Father's help. We never reach a level of maturity where we say to the Lord, it's okay, I've got this. Like, don't worry. It's like, how arrogant is that of us just to be like, it's fine, Lord. And what happens when I try and navigate it myself, maybe you've experienced this as well, is often it'll blow up in my face. Things will not go well. Or I'll maybe feel like the situation is resolved in my mind. It's like, yeah, I handled that one, okay. But I've gone in a completely different direction to what God's plan was. You know, I've ended up on a totally different runway. He's like, why are you in Fiji? What? I, I never said Fiji. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, why have you went done this all on your own? There is a pride that needs to be addressed here for us am i depending on his wisdom or not and if not what does that say about my relationship with god and how i view him and my own self-importance god knows that we need him so how do we obtain the wisdom that we desperately need to endure trials james says ask him it's really simple It's not reserved for the elite Christians or the heroes of faith in the Bible that we read about. God did it for them, but he wouldn't do it for me. It's like, no, no, no. Ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. That's what it says. There's not a lack of wisdom on offer here. So what does it look like to walk in God's wisdom during trials? There's some questions that we could ask in the moment when things are really hard. We could be dialoguing with God in the middle of the storm. We could say, Lord, how do I endure this? You call me to, to persevere. How do I do that in this moment, Lord? Are there things that I should be doing to help me endure and keep going? And so often for me in those moments, I'll feel the Lord say, you know, to me or, or through someone else, like, are you prioritizing rest in this moment? Are you, do you have a quiet time with me that is regular? Have you got margin in your life or is it all just busyness and you trying to solve stuff? Another question would be like, God, what are you doing in the middle of this? I know that you're not the source of this suffering. I know it hasn't come from you, Lord, but I am experiencing it. So how are you using it in my life to benefit me? What are the characteristics that you're growing in me right now? And how is it going to serve your greater purpose and your plan? Another question, where is your grace at work in the middle of what I'm going through right now? Because right now, God, it just seems like there's storms everywhere. And it feels like that's all I can see. It's like my vision is totally impaired. But I know that it says in your word that your mercies are new every morning. And that you give your grace abundantly to me. So if that is true, Lord, where are you at work? What are you doing? Where do I actually need to take my eye off the storm for a minute and, and the pain that I'm feeling and say, God, actually, I can see that your kindness and your mercy is actually stamped all over my life there's loads of areas that you're working in that I want to be thankful for. Even just asking really specific questions. Lord, how do I have that awkward conversation with my boss? Jesus, is this relationship that I'm in right? Is it honoring to you? We need to be searching for wisdom in all these things. And then it kind of switches a little bit. Because after asking for wisdom from the Lord's James encourages to do that, but then in verse six he says, When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The person that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Feels a bit harsh. Feels like we've went from it's all there, like God wants to give generously to, like James like slipped into caps lock all of a sudden and he's just shouting at us and it's like, whoa, where did this come from? Like, what's going on? That's what feels like's happening here, but it's not. James isn't being harsh. He's just being to the point. It's probably one of those punch in the gut moments that we're expecting. I think James has just been really practical in this. Has anyone been to McDonald's recently? And by recently, I mean in the last few years admit it admit it yeah you all have yeah don't think i don't know you've all been to mcdonald's and the the thing that they changed in the last few years is you had these screens where you type your order and all the rest and then the number comes up and i feel so sorry for the guys at work there who have to go like shout out the numbers do you know what i mean i just feel so bad for them because they're literally doing it all day like number 16 number 16 please Number sixteen, cheeseburger. Number sixteen. You can just hear in their voice, they're like, "I just want to go home." Like, I feel so bad for those guys having to do that. And you just sat there as like number sixteen, and you're looking around, like, "Come on, guys, like, help them out." Number sixteen, come on. Number sixteen. Number sixteen. You're like, "Why is no one moving?" You're like, oh, I'm number sixteen. Okay, there right we go. <laughs> that is what happens nine times out of ten. That's it. But imagine you've got that moment. But it's a pretty simple system, right? You you put your order in, you ask, and you receive, right? Then James says, the one who doubts should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded and unstable in what they do. And that doubt that James is talking about isn't doubting that God would be willing to give us his wisdom. It's not, oh, are you going to do this or not, God? But double-minded and unstable, it's more like they're drawn to their own internal desires than the things of God. And so the notion of asking God for wisdom and then doubting feels a bit like someone coming into mcdonald's ordering a burger getting their receipt with a number and then walking straight out the door and not picking it up that's kind of what's going on it's like such a person that is double-minded unstable and should not expect to receive their big mac because they've left like it's not going to happen is it it's common sense of course you're not going to receive anything because you've left the room and we can do the same actually we can ask god for wisdom but in a way that's a bit token it's like oh yeah help help me with this situation lord's but then we just kind of crack on with our own thing rather than submitting to his plans trusting in him to deliver really we just kind of maintain control ourselves i can navigate this storm and it's our interests and competing desires that lead our steps you know i prayed but i'm not actually looking to him to provide anything So when we're facing difficult things, James is telling us, look to Jesus, look to him to give us what we need to endure. He is our provider. That doesn't necessarily mean that like the storm vanishes in that moment and it's all clear skies, but it's a promise from God that he's committed to us. He's right there in the thick of it with us and he'll give us what we need. And so a great question we can ask ourselves this morning is, am I trusting God in the difficulties that I face? Am I asking for wisdom and expecting that he is going to come through and give me what I need? How is me navigating this suffering? How can I do it in a way that's going to be good for me and it's going to honor him? He will give generously to all who ask. So we need to ask and believe. So we can choose joy in the midst of suffering because it can lead to fruitful perseverance. His godly provision is there when we ask for it. And finally, we can choose joy and suffering because it can give us an eternal perspective. I've been very slowly working my way through Clarkson's farm. I don't know if anyone's watched that. It's just highlighted to me how little I know about agriculture. And to be fair, I don't know if Jeremy knows a ton either. But like, it's just, I really enjoy it. It It's quite funny. But I was watching it the other night where there was a a hedge laying competition. I'd never heard of hedge laying in my life. Does anyone know what hedge laying is? A few people? Some. Yes. I'd never heard of this before, but essentially what it is, is you take a line of shrubs or trees, small trees, and then you cut them and bend them and then like weave them all together to make like a fence effectively, to keep cattle out. And it's something that looks like, should come up on the screen, like this. There, there it is. Awesome. So it looks like that, which does look like a little bit of a mess. But there's actually some really, like, it's really incredible how they do this. And the thing that's really cool about it is it's amazing for, like, wildlife habitats and stuff like that. Like a wire fence wouldn't be. It's way better than just having normal hedges because, you know, they're difficult to maintain all this kind of stuff. So it's a good way to go. But the thing that astonished me about them was the level to which they have to cut the trees back so they can bend them in the right direction. They have to cut them back. We're gonna get the next slide up like that. Can you see that? Can you see like where it's bent? And it's just this little strip like that. Like if I saw that, I'd be like, that tree's gone. Like goodbye tree. But they're like, no, that's perfect. You want about 80% of the base of the tree to be cut. And then 20% is just kind of like, kind of keeping it going like that. And then they can bend it at this 45 degree angle and make it into this thing. You know, often the things that seem essential, actually they aren't. In amongst the pain of suffering, you know, one of the gifts it can bring us is the gift of perspective. I've experienced this multiple times in my life, going through a difficult time, but gaining some clarity along the way as to what is really important in life. My wife Hazel and I, we lost our daughter Evie when she was three months old in 2019. And through the horrendous pain of that, I remember having a conversation with god where i felt there was this change in perspective for me like the worst thing had happened and somehow that made me see as well the fruitless things that i'd been spending my time on and my energy on it was like it was almost just this like total clarity of like gosh this this yeah this is just kind of like revealing like what life is really about and i had this moment of just being like god if i'm alive if you've put me here on this earth like, I don't want to mess about. Like, I want to follow you with all I am. I want to be the best dad I can be. I want to be the best husband I can be. And I had a clarity in my perspective and started to cut away at some of this stuff that was just dross, really. It was like really overly worrying about what people thought of me and like a whole bunch of different areas and, and sin and stuff that I was just like, it's time to deal with this. It's time to cut this stuff away. And some of those bad attitudes I had, it just made me start to want to live differently. It doesn't make the reality of losing Evie okay, but I am grateful for that shift in perspective. I'm grateful that God highlighted those things to me and helped me see some things more clearly. You see, when we walk through suffering, as much as we hate it, as much as it can feel like everything's just been stripped away from us, a little bit like that tree, it can actually help us to see the dross. It can help us with clarity to see in our lives the things that aren't really worth anything. It's so common for people at the end of their lives to have this clarity. Why did I spend so much time in my life pursuing these things that don't matter? And it's interesting because James, it feels a bit random actually reading the passage that we've read, where James just all of a sudden starts starts talking about wealth and like the, the rich and poor. It seems a little bit strange, but actually looking at it, I think he's talking about how wealth, ultimately it fades he says the rich pass away like flowers for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plants its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while going about their business and he's not saying being wealthy is bad but what he's saying is it's not going to save us rich and poor alike are going to be oppressed it's not like if we're poor and we said oh if i just had some money i wouldn't have any problems you know that isn't the case Things might be a bit different, but that doesn't remove suffering from our lives. James is saying, if our lives orientate around amassing wealth and possessions for ourselves, at the end of our lives, we'll see that we've been fooled. We'll see that we've poured out precious years on the ground for something that fades, that doesn't last. The danger of wealth or of any other idol that we devote ourselves to, anything that isn't Jesus, is that we're going to miss what really matters what's really important. And James is like, don't do that. Our boys went to a birthday party yesterday with a a magician. And um, as in there was a magician there, the magician didn't take, anyway. So they went to a party, there was a magician there. And but it's the thing about like, how does a magician work? Like, what do they do? How do they fool people or like make it seem like they've done something impossible? It's one word, isn't it? Distraction. That's how they do it. It's like, look over here, look over here. And really, I'm pulling a rabbit from under the table or whatever it is. Distraction. And actually, I think that's what the enemy wants to do in our lives as well. His tactic is to distract us away from the things that matter, the things that are going to last, to things that really don't, and make them seem really important. Like those trees, we need to be willing to be cut, to cut away at the things that aren't important, to allow painful situations to actually highlight those areas. That can be a blessing of suffering. It's not fun. It sucks. It's not good. But it can show us what really matters in life. It can shake us from apathy. So we need to be willing to cut away the things that aren't important and allow our perspective to be malleable, almost like that tree to be bent in a new direction, to be given a different perspective. What is it we're aiming for? Verse 12. James summarizes it like this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. His heart for us, James wants to urge us to keep going. Don't get distracted by the things of this world that are going to fade and that don't matter, but instead allow suffering to change some stuff in you, to reorientate your life and your trajectory and your priorities and the things that you do with your time to be like, actually, is this, is this going to last, you know, uh, the rest of my life? Is this really matter? Am I walking in the purposes that God has for me? Suffering can give us an eternal perspective. And when we reach the end, when we've lived that life and we hear the father's well done, we receive that crown of life with him in heaven. And so Lord, what are the things that I'm pouring my life into? Where's my time and my energy going that is actually of no value? Lord, what's the 80% you want to cut away? And what's the 20% that you want to keep in my life? I want to live for your purposes, orientated towards you and eternity with you so what if we were the kind of people that chose joy in trials how would that change our approach to suffering and what would that communicate to the world around us we can choose joy even in the darkest times because god can bring new fruit and growth to us through perseverance he can provide for us in a way that no one else can and he can change our perspective to be one that is about eternity and not the here and now why don't we stand